All right. So today on the podcast, we have all the way from Arizona, Kathy Gill with Tower Safety. How are you doing today, Kathy? Hey, Mark. Good. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, Tower is something that most of our people play on, but not a lot of our people know probably a lot about. So it's kind of an interesting conversation. I'm going to be looking forward to this one. Thanks for inviting us. I mean, yeah, our we're kind of a group of uh, group of climbers that are kind of quiet out there, just installing lines and antennas. Yeah. So why don't we start with that? Let's. Who are you? How'd you get into this industry? And what is this industry? Well, let's see. I've been in the safety side for nine years. Um, had a was had a wireless contract um, company for about five years. Ran crews. And then prior to that, worked for AT&T and Lucent Technologies in outside plant for fiber optics and basically for central office. So I have been doing telecom forever and then grew up with my dad in telecom. So he would bring us to like the telephone offices. I say my, my sister and I to the telephone offices where every call you'd hear like a click, 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 click. And you'd have to run what and the girls would run the wire. They would run the frames, solder the solder the new lines in or disconnect it. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of evolution in these years on the uh, telephone side of things. Yeah, I bet it's uh, it's one of those odd tangents there where you, like I talk to my kids and I don't think party lines and phones attached to walls. It's amazing how it's changed now. <laughs> Yeah, no more. Uh, where's the quarters so I can call a payphone? Yeah, exactly. And so you said you started in on the safety side of it, um, and then got into more of the the climbing and stuff. Now, is it more on the the phone side, like the the cellular telecommunication side? Is there other things that Tower ends up kind of encompassing? No, it's pretty much climbing, rescue, um, getting more into the the rigging side of things. Because a lot of these men and women, they're not aware of like your mechanical advantages, um, not knowing how to build them and how to make maybe their jobs a little easier, safer, and more efficient. Um, there's just so much knowledge out there in all the different industries. And if we could bring that in to start teaching these men and women to, to make their job a little bit easier. All right. So you, you kind of brought up their mechanical advantage. Do you see other kind of gaps in the tower industry that could benefit from crossover training? I do because you lot, maybe even the, of course the rope access. Now we will never pass knots, right? Us having a knot in a rope, you know, like you do for spread or something, that's not something we would do, but if we can get these guys more on ropes to more safely, efficiently traverse across the tower, I'm all about it. But that also requires different tools and different equipment. Um, a lot of the guys like to put their harnesses on like a jacket, right? They'll still just put it on like a coat. Where if you use like your, your Petzl, your Yates, or some of your Buckingham harnesses, you step into them. Okay. So it's almost like a different gear, different it's similar, but different, but it doesn't mean that that can't be a tool for their toolbox. Okay. And now I'm going to throw a bunch of other questions out here. Cause I'm sure that a lot of the people from the listeners that we get are going to have these similar questions. 
When you talk about towers, can you give me kind of a range? Like how high, how big do these have ladders or not? Like, you know, that kind of scope on what it looks like to climb these? Well, you have their broadcast towers, right? So those are live, those are hot. Those are your AM, FM towers. Some of those have elevators in them. I mean, those can go up to 2000 feet. Um, then you have your lines and antenna towers that can go up to 300, 400, 500 feet. So you have different types of towers. And then you'll see in the city, the smaller monopoles. And then you also have your stealth towers. Like you don't even know there's an antenna maybe in your church steeple. We have uh, a saguaro cactus that looks like a tower out here. And of course, we've, I think we've all seen the fake monopines and monopalms as well. Okay, so... Yeah, it's this when we say climbing tower, then I mean, that's kind of a misnomer. It's you could be working, you know, like you say, taking an elevator, you could be working on structure, then like a pre existing structure that has the antenna on it. So there's actually quite a wide, what well, might easy for me to say, wide variety here. Yeah, if you look around, you'll probably see more antennas than you've ever noticed. Like, especially if you even go back east, right? You'll see them on the old, uh, the well, of course, the water towers. Um, the steeples a lot, like, like chimney steeples and stuff. So yeah, they're everywhere. Okay. And now you said something about, you know, these are hot. Can you, you oh. know, for the lay viewer, the lay listener here, could you explain what that means? I'm assuming you're talking about RF. No, the RF is different. This is um, like a broadcast tower. Okay. Ones that go to you know the 2,000 feet those are the antenna so they are live and hot so if you were to touch them you would get shocked now rf is something different when you're on front of an antenna that's where you feel the heating effects of the rf and that's where like if you notice like back in well in 2020 everybody was blaming 5g for covid <laughs> <laughs> And now our, we're talking about shutting airports down with it okay <laughs> oh yeah that was what two weeks ago yeah exactly yeah our climbers actually got into some scary situations where they said they were um attacked they were yelled at some were shot at during that during those covid during 2020 that that because that's you know when you're 2,000 feet or even 500 feet near that's what you need added stress of is people shooting <laughs> at you while you're there right yeah that always adds to the uh, adds to the climb yeah no kidding so who got i mean i guess does anybody govern this industry is there an osha or an ansi or a state standard that you have to follow in this industry that's a good question should we follow the osha 1926 under a lot of subpart m right for fall protection and of course like everybody well not you guys follow nfp a lot but we have the ansi z359 yeah. That would follow for fall protection. And then ANSI came out with the ANSI 10.48 for rigging. For instance, that came out in 2016. And if we were to lift an antenna, it has to be a shackle. So they've taken carabiners away from us when it comes to antennas, mounts. Everything has to be a shackle. And that has thrown a giant curve in our industry because just last week, I, or actually this week I saw somebody with their Petzl Grion with a shackle attached to it. Okay. It's, so we're getting some call it cross contamination when we're rigging or when you're rigging, you're dealing with rigging rules, shackles, probably wire rope or whatnot. And then when you're 
actually climbing, you're dealing more with rope work. Is that correct? Yeah, and that, it's not so much so wire rope would be more like your broad cross, like your double drum winches. We're still lifting, they're lift a lot with a double braided rope. Okay. So you got the double rated rope, and then you have your kern mantle rope, and then your kern mantles for life safety for carabiners, and then you've got your double rated. And you're right, it's like your cross that is a perfect word for it. Your cross pollinization, you're like, um, let's just put a shack. Pretty much, it's almost like let's just put a shackle on everything because our job will get shut down. It's it's kind of sad to see. So it's so you're telling me or identifying that there is a bit of a training requirement for this industry right now where not only, I mean, it sounds pretty obvious that you need to be trained, but it sounds like there might be a bit of a gap as well. Um, a confusion, an orbit of confusion where if you, instead of like, because the worst thing for these guys to do is get their job shut down. And I think they're in fear of that. So they feel, okay, so we, we're, we're not supposed to use carabiners. They get that. Let's just put a shackle on everything. This way, we're covered with everything. But as you know, shackles are rated in static. Ball, you know, carabiners are rated in dynamic. And yet we're, we're confusing everything. Okay. So it would be safe to say to get into this industry, somebody's going to have to know something about rigging. They're going to have to know something about fall protection and climbing. And they're going to have to know something about rescue. Is that sum it up or am I missing parts and pieces here that's pretty much it without having to turn the wrenches up in the air so that pretty much sums up the the training of course there are RF first aid CPR OSHA 10 bloodborne pathogens GHS lockout tagout all those other fun things but yes it sounds like bulletproof vest too and maybe some, uh, <laughs> um, so the uh the fall protection when your folks climb towers what are they using predominantly? So if a rescuer showed up, what kind of situation are they going to see if they, somebody needed assistance? So if they're needing assistance, right, let's just say that they've got heat stress because we're heading into that season here in a couple of months. The rescuer, most of the tower crews, I would like to say are confident. It's the ones that are that are not taking the safety side seriously or are not, don't have the proper tools. If pretty much the climbers want to say, as soon as we bring that climber down, then EMT takes over, right? Then your fire and rescue take over for them. Um, but for the most part, for the rescues, I mean, we kind of teach like not one size fits all because if you're running a two man team, obviously your Z rig does nothing. Um, if you're running a three-man team and you've got your rope set up, by all means, bring them all down by that, by, you know, by their, your, um, the trolley risk, or I call it a trolley because we do that in, in um, rigging, but build your, build your um, Z-rig, bring them on down. Or if you have to just do that man-on-man man -on -man rescue and lift them up with their pencil grion and just bring them down the tower like that. Okay. And so when they're climbing, are they using twin leg lanyards? Is there manufactured or engineered uh, fall protection solutions on these towers? Are they lead climbing them? Are they free climbing them? What's, what's that look like? Now, and that's where that lead climbing with the rope training would come in handy, right? Because once they're on rope, the next person that has to go up the tower has got a lot easier if they just put on their rope crab. They actually have a cable climb on most of these. Have you have you been, have you seen the cable climbs on some of these towers? Yeah, they go to the uh, 
there's just that cable pre-engineered manufactured attached to it and it clips into your uh what would that be your sternal point on your harness is that the one we're talking about yeah yeah and so that's probably the most risky part about climbing because you don't know the person that installed it which is what happened at the rodeo but we the tower rodeo which we can talk about later but it they yeah that's the most to me that's the most uh, what would i say if you had a link that would be the weakest link on the tower is that safety climb okay so um that's interesting that yeah the, the the piece that's designed for safety you're identifying as the weakest point of the entire system yeah and it's not so much the safety climb it's more the installation of the safety climb okay fair enough um and i guess you know a couple other smaller questions here is lightning a big risk for you folks when you're doing this type of work or other types of weather phenomena? Of course, you've been, you know, you've been up there, right? Where you, you feel that lightning and you feel the hair on your arms raising up and everything. Most of the guys try to get down. You, every, every one of these guys have weather apps on their phone to watch all the time. Um, yeah. So they, they want to get off that tower. So even though there is a lightning rod at the top, yeah, you want to get off that tower as fast as possible. Another one is wind. Okay. This has never happened to me before, but some of the guys, you know, because OSHA doesn't really have a regulation that states if it's, you know, 54 mile an hour wind gusts, don't climb up the tower. They kind of, it's very gray. And some of these guys have actually just been horizontal with the wind i mean with you know with the earth with the because the wind is so strong and they're just relying on their you know fall arrest and fall restraint to keep them in place and that's really interesting because i know when we do work at ports with gantry cranes and things like that there are uh wind cutoffs for those gantries for instance like they won't operate above an x mile an hour or a kilometer an hour uh amount of wind depending on where the crane was built depends on what you get it in but um yeah, it's, like, it's interesting that OSHA doesn't identify that. Yeah, it's not there, but you know, it's up to the personal discretion for climbing. I agree with that. And I don't know, does NFPA mention anything about wind? No, I mean, NFPA is more of a consensus standard on, you know, kind of a generalize on how to do something. Like they would indicate that, you know, at a technician level, you would need to be able to pick someone off from two ropes on the, you know, you have to use a belay and a main, but outside of that, they really leave it to your imagination on how to do it and under what conditions to do it under. I mean, they talk a little bit about risk matrices and hazard evaluations, um, you know, but they don't really say stop at this point. Yeah, neither does OSHA, which I find is interesting, but if you're picking, like you said, though, if you're picking something with a crane, you know, then that's that has a uh, wind miles per hour. Or if you're on an aerial lift basket, that's got wind, but not for personal climbing. Yeah. And like you say, that's just really interesting. But OK, one of the other things you had ch chatted about briefly there, I, mean, I would love to get into is this tower rodeo. And could you explain to us what tower rodeo is? Oh, that's so fun. So you got some of your buddies were a part of it. Okay, who? <laughs> you know, do you know uh, Chris and Kevin from MedTex? Yeah, yeah. And you know Micah and Eric from Peak Rescue? Yep. Yeah, so they Chris and Kevin won 2020, and then Micah and Eric run the 2021, and then we'll have the 2022. But yeah, it's all here, held here at Phoenix, Arizona. It's seven events. Day one, it's kind of like your grand. Day one is seven events. And then Saturday is the semifinals and the finals. So 
last year, Chris and Kevin won, you know, in 2020. And, and the final event was MAs and knots. Okay. It, it, it crushed the tower industry. It crushed us. I know it's sad. So I'll just throw it out there because those guys will be listening to this. Those guys are just geeks. That's what they do all day. <laughs> they, I agree with you on that one. But they, yeah. Once they found out what the final was, they're like, ah, we got this. Because they were watching our guys climb. Because I have a 70 foot monopole at my place and just climb this monopole like it was nothing. And if you've climbed a monopole, it's one of the worst climbs you can have. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of this in my head right now. Like, I'm, I've climbed, you know, telephone pole and stuff, but usually I got spikes for that, you know, they're kind of a slide lanyard. I'm assuming there must be some sort of like, you know, like on a ship's ladder, you've got some pegs out the side you climb, or is it just like a, like a straight monopole? Uh, you have the step pegs that are on okay. it. And then I put the, I don't know if you've seen the Buckingham step pegs that have the anchor point in them built into them. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I've installed a couple of those just in case. And and I know we're getting off topic here, but when I like do training, I'm like, okay, the first person up that monopole has to take rope because I've actually had somebody get scared to death at about 30 feet on that monopole. And we didn't, and, and we didn't take rope. And now I'm like, okay, now I know, because the only way you're going to rescue somebody on a monopole, if they're stuck right in the middle and you didn't take rope up is to basically step on them to get above them. You know, and it's interesting you say that because I mean, total tangent here. When I was in the military, a lot of the rappel towers, the minimum height was 32 feet. And I was always told that was the height of fear. But I don't have any solid evidence of that, except for, you know, that, you know, old wives tale, maybe I don't know. But so it's interesting, you said about 30 feet, people lock up, because that's apparently around, if you're going to lock up, that's when you're going to lock up. Yeah, because I, well, I've got the 60 footer. And it's about, I would say between 20 and 30 that's the freezing point. It's, you, it's not 100, it's not 120, it's between 20 and 30 feet that that's when everybody, that not, that's when I see those people that have that fear, it just clicks in and they're like, you, you and you've seen it, right? The white knuckle, that fear and that frozen. Then you're not moving them. And it's also interesting you say about carrying a rope because when we teach like tower crane rescue, you know, gantry, hammerhead, you know, bluffing, these types of things, that's usually the drill is the first person will take a rope up with them in order to allow the other people to run up that rope once it's anchored and save everyone else from having to either lead or twin leg lanyard or whatever to get up this thing. Yeah. Now, are you are you climbing on the inside of the tower that are inside of like our tower crane? It depends. Like a lot of you know, a nice brand new tower crane that's, you know, cordoned off every you know so many feet with trap doors. That's great. We can just carry on with that. But there's a lot of, you know, like a luffing crane and, you know, there's different types out there where that's not an option. And then we're basically just climbing frame or structure. Even some of the old tower cranes, there is yeah. no um, guards on the ladders. And so, I mean, if you fall off the ladder, you're just falling to your death. So it's one of those where we do have to, you know, uh, protect those as well. So if you're, if you're climbing up the ladder, where would you tie off at? Just the side on the tower? Um, generally, <laughs> excuse me, if we're, it, like I said, it really depends on the tower crane. If it's a, like, well, there's one that I know of, it's about a 75 foot crane and it's just a straight ladder. It goes up 75 feet, not guarded anything else. Um, 
So we can, we'll just anchor on the top of that. I mean, there's lots of heavy, big things on the top of a tower crane to rig to. Yeah. And then the next people up can just run an ASAP up that particular line um, as their protection. If we get into some of these weird towers, we get some, they get these angled ladders on them, usually angled in, which is actually worse off, um, but they're not guarded. They go up maybe in 20 to 25 foot sections and they're not guarded and you're cutting across. And a lot of times then what the lads will do is they'll go up with a small diameter rope, lower that over the outside when they get to the top and then haul another rope up so that they can start fixing protection for people. Got it. Okay, then what size, what size rope are you using right now? So generally we use between 10 and a half and 11 for rescue and for, you know, if we're going to do that, the rope that we're talking about that people will carry up with them in order to use it as a haul line is anywhere between our expired 6.8 millimeter up to nine millimeter. Okay. Because I work with, I don't, do you know Dale from Arizona Hiking Shack here locally? No, I don't. So Dale is the same thing where he is recommending using more 10.5 mil for my tower guys. And the biggest thing I have with these guys is that they think it needs to be heavy to be, to be solid. Like they're still in like steel carabiners and steel or, you know, half inch, you know, five eighths rope. And I'm like, and I'm recommending you know, 10.5. And they're looking at me like I'm, a, I'm an alien. Like there's no way this size rope will be able to hold me. I mean, it's funny. Cause that was the old NFPA arguments. That's why, you know, this G rated 40 kilonewton rope and 40 kilonewton carabiners or 10,000 pound, whatever you want to work in the 10, five, the stuff we're using now. I mean, this stuff, some of it's over 30 kilonewtons. I mean, you're getting into 7,000, 8,000 pounds for this rope. And I mean, it's just incredibly so strong stuff. Um, is that Technora rope, is that what you're using? All of them are, are above that. We use Technora, we'll use uh, poly, you know, poly nylon, nylon poly, nylon Technora, uh, Technora Technora, um, both Kern Mantle and what's known as Unicore thermocoupled where they melt the sheath and the core together. Um, we've used it all and, you know, some of it's better in certain applications than others. I mean, especially if you're dragging it over metal all day, you might want something with more of a aramid or a Technora sheath on it. Um, but the 10.5 is certainly a lighter weight. I mean, when you look at like a 12 or a half inch down to your seven sixteenths, down to your 10.5, um, it's, it's certainly noticeable when you get smaller. I mean, I have a 200 foot piece or a 60 meter piece of 10.5 and it sits in a bag that's smaller than a sleeping bag valise no i know it's incredible isn't it right and so when you start looking at that especially when you're as you know you're climbing with this attached to your arse it's uh every every ounce you can take off your legs and your arms is is money <laughs> yeah and i guess sometimes that's my uphill battle is why are we still using all this steel? I'm like, there's nothing wrong with these aluminum alloys, but it's kind of that old school mentality. Like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years, but I'm like, you've only been doing a year. <laughs> you know, I'm only, you just started a year ago. I'm like, but you're, you, they just, just, just think heavier is better. And I'm like, not, not always. And you know what? And it's not unique. Like I said, to the tower industry, the fire service with their NFPA, 
there's standards people quote that haven't been in the NFPA standards since I started in the fire service 27 years ago. But because it's passed on from old guy to younger guy who becomes an old guy to younger hire who becomes an older hire. And yeah. 27 years later, it's still, now we got to have these 853,000 pound uh, shackles on the side <laughs> of the fire truck. Cause that's what uh, Billy used back in 1956. Right. Like, yes, I know. I know. I, I lost a customer because they said you're pushing aluminum on us. And they're like, well, they're like, I don't sell equipment, right? But I'm like, you're pushing it, you're pushing aluminum. Our customer only wants steel. This is what we do is steel. We are only using steel. And I'm like, okay, but how are you getting home? And they're like, what are you talking about? Because your car is made out of aluminum. Like, what do you do? You're not, you're not driving a steel vehicle home. Yeah, it's, and I mean, there's other things coming out now that are, you know, the soft shackle that you see in the rigging industry starting to move into the rescue side. Other, some here, 9,000 pound breaking strength and I, it, it fits the size of my wrist. Um, and these guys, it's just blowing these, uh, it's from Tuffelberger. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, this is the way, if we have to use shackles, go lighter. And there is a, I, don't, I didn't mean to interrupt, sorry, but I get it. No, go, keep but going. Test, I don't know if you've seen this test where they did a shackle, a carabiner and the soft shell ones, right? The, 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 and the soft, they basically just stretched. They never broke. The, the shackle snapped first. The carabiner broke at the, finally at the gate. And then they actually pulled this thing to about, almost twice the amount of its strength. And it never broke. It just kept getting smaller and stretching, like, you know, stretching smaller and smaller. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing stuff. And I mean, I've got to hand it to some of the manufacturers for doing this. It's just, you know, it's it's like any change. It's going to take time to make it through there, make it through the different systems. People need to trust it. Yeah, and I guess in our industry, we have people that will step in and say, you know, I don't know what this is, so this can't be any good. Bring back the heavy steel or bring back that heavy shackle. And you're like, yeah, but you don't understand. This is lighter. It's actually better. Just because you don't know what it is try to learn what this thing is and don't just shoot it down quickly. That's my issues I'm having now. It, and it's funny because you're having the same ones they have in rope access, in rescue and in everywhere else. So <laughs> welcome um, to the club. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So back to the, uh, the rodeo, what seven events were there last year? Like you said, there's seven, you know, events that people are competing with. So what seven events? So people understand this. So we have one event where we actually have to rig with a capstan, which is a winch, and they have to rig with they have to rig the antenna and mount it. So you actually have to turn, you know, uh, wrenches and mount it. And then I always add something fun to it. So we had Nerf guns, and then the Nerf gun is kind of like shooting your azimuths, which is like your your antenna ray, so they can hit something into a basket. The second one is I have a little small mini um, mini monopoles, only sixteen feet. And I brought an aerial lift and they had to rescue this bird and then rescue themselves. Another one was a water bucket challenge, which on my 25 footer, which is, um, they actually had the most difficult with that one is what I understand is because it's, it's more about how much water is left at the end because you don't want to drop anything. You want to be careful with your rigging. Um, so it's basically careful skill and kind of an expertise on how much water you're going to get at the end. The, and then on my 70 foot or 60 foot monopole, 
they have a, I have a dummy up there that they needed to rescue, but I have underneath my modifier, I've painted sharks on the platform. So they had to rescue the dummy, but they had to bring it down right into the dummy's mouth. And what's the differences between, I see a lot in tower and in say your fire department is the fire department rigged off the handrails off my, off my mouth. And I'm like, and in our world, we can't rig off anything that isn't like steel. So our handrails, that's what actually lost the fire department losing to the rescue off that is like, that is not basically a, um, a, a anchor point. And that's where I found both fire department teams anchored off of the handrails where the tower industry used another piece of steel to hang off of. So you kind of see the differences in both industries um, and the other one is, which I'm bringing in is like the Prusik, right? You don't want to drop any loads. So there was a, we have a 40 foot drop testing tower and there's a bunch of baby ducks, plastic ones, no animals were harmed, plastic ducks. And the, the judge would blow whistles. And every time you blew a whistle, you had to take your hands off the rope and ducks were flying everywhere because um, our guys are not used to using Prusiks a lot to stop, you know, to for progress progress um, capture devices, so it's interesting to see kind of the the dynamics. And then two more two more um, two more were the sixty foot self supporter rescue with the dummy that they had to land in the target. And the most probably disappointing one was I had a whiteboard challenge. I had math. I brought in math so that all a squared plus b squared equals c squared because before we do any lift in the tower industry, we have to do a rigging plan. So I did, and I didn't leave any secrets out. Everybody knows what these were. I've made videos on every one of things, every one of these things to, you know, as pretty much educational. No, nobody actually passed the whiteboard challenge to actually do a rigging plan. And I wasn't so upset with the, with the fire department. It was more of our tower industry because they should know this it's been in our systems now for five years being drilled on how to do a rigging plan. Okay, so this brings up a lot of questions for me. Um, how many teams competed in this event? Seven teams. All righty, and it sounds like you had representation from like fire rescue type and plus the tower world. Yeah, five from the tower, two from, two from fire and rescue. And so there are two man teams. Like it's different from Grimp because I believe Grimp is seven team, seven man teams, right? Yeah, five riggers, one patient, one evaluator. Okay, and when I say man, it means seven person. Sorry, no. Yeah, no worries. Um, <laughs> so yeah, now, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say yeah. So we had 14, oh, 14 people competing. All right, and now you brought up two things. I just like to two little holes to dive down here. Um, <laughs> you talked about rescue. Now, is the tower industry as part of their let's call it their basic tower training? Is are they trained in rescue? Yes. In fact, they're supposed to to the 10.48 annually train. Okay. And now is that just a pickoff rescue or is that you know more prescriptive, you know, worded where it says you must do X, Y, and Z, or is it more generally worded where it just says you got to be able to get someone off a tower? Generally worded because I like I said, if there's a two man team and you've got, I'm always, you know, that Technora rope, the XO or the Sterling PD, yep. whatever. I take, I'm always like, take your rescue kit up in the air with you. This way you can do a self rescue and you're down 200 feet within seconds. 
Um, so I'm like, there's different risk. I always say there's different rescues for different for the different scenarios that you are running. So it's very it's general term, just meaning practice whatever your teams are running: two man, three man, four man teams. There's different ways to rescue. Okay, and for me, the last little rabbit hole here is you talk about rigging plans. Could you elaborate on that? <laughs> No, no, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. No, it's it's just basically knowing your block angles, your tagline angles. So I gave them all the information, uh, gave them a rigging. They could use a, their smart calculators if they wanted to. Um, gave them their tagline angles. Gave them their. They didn't. Fig, they didn't need to figure out sling lane angles, but their block angles. And I gave them the ninety degrees at the bottom. So they just basically needed to figure out the one angle that was left to figure out the forces. Um, the, the one of the things that tripped them up was trying to figure out the gross load because that gross load is gonna be the weight of the slings, the, the friction, uh, the pulleys. I gave them like 5% friction on the pulleys. The, I gave them the length of the tagger person, how far back he was. So I, I pretty much gave them all the answers. Okay, so we're all there, with a 90 degree angle, all they're really doing is figuring out the other two angles adding that in and then just using those angles, figuring out the weights or the forces, sorry, would be the better term at, I guess one side would be the tag and the other side would be the anchor up top. Is that what you're talking about when you talk about a rigging plan? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay, in the rescue world with, I mean, you talk about gross weight, which is interesting because we generally won't add in the friction on the devices and the weight of slings and whatnot. But I mean, in your world, I could certainly see that because of those are much bulkier larger items but it's very much what we require our people to look at in order to figure out whether or not they're going to blow apart their system so it's it's very interesting that your rigging plan and our critical system analysis is very similar it's very similar so are you what is your max load probably like 300 350 so i'm the wrong guy to ask this because some fire departments and rescue teams will follow like a 10 to one static system safety factor. Some will follow eight to one. Some will use force limiting factors, in which case they're down using dynamic loads and they're using certain pieces of rigging equipment in order to bleed energy off should they exceed a certain amount of force. And then they will input what they want to see as a dynamic system safety factor. When it comes to me, why I say I'm probably the wrong guy to ask is I believe more in that bleeding off of force because most of our anchors are fixed. Most of our rigging is done through devices of which I know the slip on, like how many, how much force it takes to slip that device, in which case I'll start getting fairly narrow within that load calculation, probably more so than other folks would. That makes sense. Yeah. Are you doing this in your head or are you writing this down? Generally, I do it in my head unless I'm doing very complex work. Uh, I'll give you a, for an example. We had to build a system to have an inspector inspect a gas pipeline. It was 700 feet long over a gorge that was 200 and some odd feet deep. Um, in order to match this pipeline to do a rescue, our interior angles led us to 21 kilonewtons of force on the anchors. So we split that over a triple track line with seven kilonewtons per track. Okay. When I'm getting into that, I'm working with engineers and I'm actually writing this down because at that point, 
rope weight, sling weight, efficiencies, because we're dealing with such a large span, those wind, those things start to now come into play. If I'm doing it and we're doing a rescue and it's 100 feet or 200 feet or even 300 feet, at about 300 feet, you got to start worrying about your rope weights and stuff. But anything below that, I just kind of take it for granted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. That's but I was wondering if because we physically have to write down before any lift, we physically have to write down all of our lifts. And when I go through it, like a self-supporter is tapered, right? The a self-supporter is tapered, a broadcast tower. If you look around, broadcast towers are just straight up and down. Okay. But that tapering effect on a self-supporter doesn't create a not it creates a non-right angle down there. So our our biggest issue is kind of like what you said, forces, ours, ours are like the unforeseen forces. If we don't create that 90 and that tag person comes in too close, I mean, we, we've had, I've got a picture of a truck being pulled up a tower. Um, it's just, sometimes we don't, we don't understand. I guess you don't know what you don't know type thing where, but that's where I think the math and the rigging needs to be involved. And I've been told to, hey, you need to stop teaching this because we'll never we'll never do this or we just don't care or not really care enough but it's too over our heads but i'm like then how do you know how to lift if you don't understand your angles no and i mean it's so true there a young firefighter with a very similar name to mine many many years ago crushed a roof of a suburban between the b and c posts playing this game and that's when he finally decided to look at some of this math because that was an interesting conversation to have with the fire chief of the day going, hey, the windows won't roll up on this suburban anymore because I might have crushed the roof of it. <laughs> and it takes those types of errors to go, we're putting a lot of force into these systems. And that was back in the day before force limiting systems were created. I was hard tied, like, like wrapped, like high strength tie off around the roof of that vehicle. And yeah. we started playing highline games. And lo and behold, I put enough weight in that highline that we could crush the roof of that car. Wow. And so, I mean, I guess this is just for everyone that's listening. Math and physics are important in this. Yes, and they don't change. We really can't <laughs> change them. Yeah. And gravity, gravity is always it wants us, doesn't want us to lift anything up. Oh, exactly. Um, another tangent, a guy by the name of Kirk Mothner, he does a lot of work up here in the rescue industries, created a lot of devices out there. Um, his fingerprints are on a lot of other products out there that probably people don't even realize. And um, he delivers courses. And when I talk to him, we send our staff there, you know, every year and a half or so. And he owns a company called Basecamp Innovations. And you go, you know, what should the staff do to prepare for these courses? He goes, understand Newtonian physics and vector mathematics. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of our staff are like, you know, maybe this isn't the course I thought it was. Yeah. How do you spell that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, no, that's really interesting. Um, and now this Tower Rodeo, it's a yearly event? It's, yep, it's an annual event. This year will be December 2nd and 3rd um friday it must be in the desert to be running this in december <laughs> i know right? and you know we've been so lucky we've had beautiful days like in the morning okay it's, in the morning it's chilly i say chilly but it's about 50 60 degrees and then it warms up to a nice 70 80 and it's like it's been very i've been very very fortunate 
to have uh, to have such gorgeous days here so far. Um, yeah, and the semi and then the finals is Saturday, and we had Ronin. They sent you know the ascenders. They gave the senders away. CMC gave some amazing presents. Petzl always gives amazing Buckingham. It's it's incredible. But they also shared among the people that were here too. And it's awesome to see the new the the companies and the contractors and the owners show up and see this new gear that's happening. Um, because sometimes, like we mentioned before, you kind of get stuck in the old ways. You know, like I've been buying this thing. You know buying this one piece of gear for 30 years, why do we, why do I need to change it? Or, you know, the rope, why do I need, I half inch rope is working great. What do I need to go down to seven sixteenths for? Or even smaller. Oh, please. I, I don't even know what 10 five converts to in uh, there. I got to look that one up. <laughs> yeah. I was told the other day, this already crossed my mind because I asked the same question. I go, what is that? <laughs> what is, what does that go to? Yeah. Cause one of my students like, says, why are you always talking in millimeters? I go, oh, okay. So let me go with the 7 16th is 11, half inches. They're like, okay, thank you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, I need to put something outside on my warehouse or the training room, the rope rescue room to put something like what converts into what now? Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, and the different types of ropes that are out there because I have Dyneema rope and nobody's really seen uh, dynamic rope out there and nobody's really seen dynamic. So I have static and dynamic. And I was at Petzl last year and they, I missed a question on one of their, one of their tests that says, do tower climbers climb with dynamic rope? And I was like, no, we're always static. And then I got to think, I'm like, why don't we use dynamic rope? You can lead climb static, but you just have to have more of it in service. So that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, but there's no reason why we can't. Yeah, um, and this is very interesting. I mean, just like you say, with your rigging plans and some of the stuff, there's direct crossover that can be taken from your industry directly into the rescue industry. And I think that's so good. I mean, you look at like rope access and rescue and arborists and tower and there's so much crossover now and there's so many techniques that can be definitely passed back and forth between those industries, make everybody's industry easier and safer. Yeah. Yeah. Like the linemen are constantly climbing step pegs. Exactly. And they've uh, got a new device to climb step pegs with. It's, which is? <laughs> yeah. It's like, so you're right. We all kind of like cross pollinate to take, okay, fire's got this. That's really cool. Wind has this, linemen have this tower. It's, it's kind of, I don't think we talk enough among all the industries. No, but it sounds like with an event like this, it's definitely something worth coming to. And I mean, if people are looking for a nice road trip in December, Arizona is not a bad place to go. Um, it's not, it really is kind of nice. And you said you were Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix. So you're not even like up in Flagstaff or anything where you're going to get snow. I mean, you're going to be nice and warm. I know, right? And I built a fire pit at my place. So I do have fire, a little fire to warm your hands. There you go. Um, is there anything else you want to add to this? I mean, this has been really uh, entertaining and quite knowledgeable for me. So I'm hoping it is for the listeners as well. But is there anything else you want to add? No, I really appreciate it. And I enjoy talking with you. I, I feel like the more we can 
converse on fire and tower, the more knowledge that we can both learn from one another. Absolutely. And if people want to reach out and get a hold of you directly, how do they do that? Uh, they can go to the website, towersafety.com, and the email address, Kathy at Tower Safety, Kathy with a K, Kathy at towersafety.com, and just shoot me an email. Sounds good. All righty. Um, unless there's anything else, we will sign off at that point. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thank you.